Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Hey, Jack, how are you doing? Very, very well. Thanks, Alec. Nice to see you again. How's things in your world? Yeah, things in my world are very good. Very great right now. Again, always better for seeing your face. But yeah, how's everything been going with you? How's your week been? Yeah, very good. Um, I think, you know, as we're recording this, we're starting to get some nice summer weather at last. What better way to spend an evening than in indoors recording a podcast instead of being out there? But no, it's uh, yeah, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the summer kind of creeping in. How about what were you not to last week? Uh, you know, just prepping for this podcast. You know, this is a full time job basically. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm I don't joking. say that. <laughs> no, I mean this episode especially is I'd say a bit of a passion of mine. So I don't think I actually needed much prep. But I suppose we'll see. Maybe I should say that. I shouldn't say that until we finish the episode. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, it does strike me that this one will be very much in, in your wheelhouse. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hopefully learn quite a lot from you today. But you're putting all the pressure on me now. I mean, one thing I would say is last week we talked about you know, micropayments and we went very use case specific. And I kind of said, you know, it seems like the podcast and the episodes we're doing are getting much more tangible and kind of practical. And now we're taking a step back and we're talking about the metaverse, which is an extremely non-tangible and quite abstract kind of concept so this should be quite interesting yeah definitely i think we're uh from the sublime to the ridiculous you could say but um <laughs> yeah I, I think it's very interesting one because it's both uh well, as we'll get into this this concept the metaverse is both tangible and intangible it can mean kind of many things to, to different people but it, it is quite hard to wrap your head around some of the concepts i think to start with so yeah hopefully we'll, we'll be able to grapple with those today yeah, definitely. I mean, do you want to start with your definition of what you think the metaverse is? Sure. Um, again, so I, I'm very much, I think, the layman in this one uh, this week. But for me, so metaverse describes this idea of virtual worlds and virtual realms and realities that may or may not be blended with our, uh, you know, visual perception of normal reality. So again, I'm already getting into a mess of, of terms but it's essentially a, a way of doing new things in in in, in uh, immersive environments so we have these terms uh, augmented reality virtual reality and i think extended reality is another one xr where we're we're taking you know instead of just doing things in the real world there are these different gradations of 
uh, interacting, playing games, learning, etc., in environments that are supported by something digital, I would say. Um, and, and there's lots you can do with them. But um, yeah, that's 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 my kind of waffly my waffly answer. Maybe you can improve on that for me. No, that, that's it. that's great. I mean, you included like a lot of new concepts that we're going to expand on. But yeah, to keep it kind of short and concise, I think of it as a fully interactive digital reality. It emerges the physical and digital world. And it's all about in the intersect of those two. And you kind of, you talked about AR, VR and XR. And like you say, they're kind of a scale of how much real world you're experiencing, how much digital world you're experiencing, where VR is like full digital. You know, everything you're seeing in front of you is kind of projected in, into your eye, basically through like a, a, a kind of a, a screen effectively. Whereas AR, you're mostly experiencing the real world you know, through some glasses or something like this. And within that real world that you're actually seeing, there's projections of digital kind of assets in there. But we'll go in through inside very specific um, examples of that a bit later. So so what about just before we move on? So AR, when you say when you say glasses, I I immediately think of something like Google Glass. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about there, where you kind of so, put something on and? Yeah, exactly. I think um some of the like the the kind of most popular examples of glasses that have this AR capacity right now are um the Hololens. So these are extremely. They're basically kind of exactly what you just described. The, these are extremely expensive bits of kit, but they're so cool. Like I, I got, I was very fortunate to have a play around with them. You kind of, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about the hardware already, but like Oculus headsets are heavy, kind of um, get very hot. You can't wear them for too long, even like the newest versions, but like the HoloLens, they're incredible, super lightweight, super yeah. neat. Like you can imagine wearing them day to day, but I think we take a step back before we start diving into the tech. And, the one other thing that I wanted to say about like, the definition of, of metaverse is we kind of, the way we think of the internet right now is very 2D. And I've seen a lot of people kind of um, apply the, the term 3D internet and kind of like um, this corresponds to a more immersive internet where we kind of see the digital world becoming more human. I'm not just kind of trying to push that in there because we said the you know Web3 and Web3 podcast, but it seems a bit Web3D, of Web3D, you could say, right? <laughs> Oh, nice. Let's coin that term quickly. Has anyone used that before? Hopefully not. I don't know. Emma, write that down, please. But like, it's not just Web3 that kind of interacts with all this and kind of comes into this. People are saying that it's also AI, you know, blockchain, VR. It's like the intersect of so many disciplines potentially. But mm. I think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves and maybe we should, sure. again, take a step back and talk uh, about some of the history of where this uh, this term metaverse and concept came from. Sure. I mean, I, I, can, I can give you the the brief history that i'm aware of um and you can probably fill in the gaps for me so you know i, I actually I, initially i was like well metaverse seems to be this thing that uh facebook or previously called facebook and now rebranded to meta for obvious reasons you know in 2021 they kind of popularized this so for me that was one of the first times i started hearing about this but i realized after doing some reading that it's actually kind of dates back much longer than that, right? So I think a lot of people go back to this um, this sci-fi novel by um, Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash from mm. 1992, I think. And yeah. that was, I think that's where you have this first description in in, in, a, in, a, in, in fiction about what, what metaverse is kind of like. But I haven't read the book, so I don't know if you, if you, if you have and you, you know more about how it's described there. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a massive nerd. So this was a bit of me, definitely Snow Crash. Like, it's unbelievable. It's basically a, a, a book about you follow this character who kind of lives in this dystopian world and they have this version of the metaverse, but also it's kind of this character's interaction, both the real world that's kind of gone a bit crazy and the virtual world where most people tend to interact and he said this this neil stevenson he was a, a bit of a visionary i guess like i've got a, a couple of quotes that kind of just highlight how, like how forward thinking he was one of them's not super related to this but he said um there was like in this in this novel this snow crash he talked about robot dogs employed by defense contractors and you kind of you're thinking about the the darpa spot dogs that are now being employed by like military units these robotic dogs so that was one I hope facebook aren't doing that as well right <laughs> but like another cool one that he, he was one of the, he coined but well, he says that he didn't coin i think it was it was him and, and someone else independently coined the term um avatar so one of, which obviously has become like super relevant right now mm. and he described avatars as um that pieces of software that represent people in in the digital space that was one of the first terms that the kind of the first times we actually saw that 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 term being used um and he says they're, they're basically audio visual bodies that people use to communicate with each other in the metaverse i the pennies only just dropped that's where avatar comes from i had no idea that that was the av of avatar right audio visual wow okay. exactly there you all go. right learning already <laughs> thanks but yeah so that was one of the the, the first kind of um I guess, data points of the metaverse. Very interesting. Would recommend anyone to read that book. It's very cool. And then I guess the next big data point, which I imagine you've played, Jack, I think everyone's kind of played it a little bit, is Sims. Can you, do you know what Sims stands for? Uh, I imagine it's simulation. Simulation yeah, people, basically. Like that. Yeah, it's X Life Simulator, I think it was. And that was made in 2000. Uh, but they sold 6 million copies of that, that first version of Sims. And for Emma's just said, I was the queen of Sims. <laughs> but it was quite cool. Like, I mean, that was like a groundbreaking kind of game. Like you get to build your own little worlds, like have these non-player characters interacting. It was um, it was very, very mm. cool. Yeah, and that's I actually did never play Sims. I was more of a uh, uh, a, a Minecraft kid. But these kind of these worlds where you you have um, you know the open worlds that you can build things and do things in. That seems to have taken off a lot in, in in recent years, right? You know, Fortnite is now this huge craze, and it's interesting to see just how long that concept's been around. I didn't realize how long ago Sims was. Now you said two thousand or something. That was a uh, that's a long time ago. So yeah, yeah, this this has clearly been around for a long time. But you know, Sims is you said you know we're talking about three D or mm. immersive visual experiences. So in my mind, Sims is still kind of a primitive example of that right? That's still just a yeah. 2D thing on a screen. Exactly. And we're, yeah, exactly. And I think like the, the Sims kind of um, setup was kind of quite, it felt kind of game like still, it was fairly limited. And I think in the original versions, you could like, it was intended to build houses and build universes and it kind of, well, not universes, but it kind of, it felt kind of limited in, in my experience anyway. But then there was this, uh, you've heard of this one, I guess. Then there was the second life. You heard about this? So I wouldn't even describe this as a game. Like the creators of Second Life, they really are adamant that it's not a game because there's no objective. This was like a whole, this is in 2003, they set up this kind of Second Life vision, which is around like kind of creating a virtual world. So there was their main, like I said, the main point is there's no objective to it. It's just to experience mm -hmm. like a virtual life basically. And, you know, 
it was all about the creator economy. They kind of set up the infrastructure and expected people to kind of build their own worlds. There was like multiple continents. You know, people built their own cities. It was really cool. And I think one of the most groundbreaking parts of this is they had real economies in there. Like people actually had like real virtual jobs in there. They had like this real um, virtual currency in there that people could convert to fiat. And some people's like entire kind oh, wow. of actual income came from Second Life. There were people that were acting as like teachers in there, like, I don't know, just like filling out non-player characters. And they were making real money. It's so cool to think of these like virtual economies. Mm. What platform was this on? Because again, this is one that I, I don't know if I was just out playing sport, you know, in the real world too much, but what was, what was, what platform did you, uh, did you play Second Life on? You're talking about like device? Or yeah, what, 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 how, how, this, how did you use Second Life? What was it on? Oh, this was still still PC. Like, this was still PC mm-hmm. back in the day. So I didn't play like Second Life that much. I think I, I kind of played it quite a bit after. I mean, I was only like eight years old when it first came out. So I wasn't that big into Second Life. I wasn't signed a job back when it came out. But I think after reading, um, well, we'll talk about it in a sec. After reading Ready Player One, I was like, oh my God. Mm. what is this real is this possible can we do this now and then I, I played second life because of it i was like oh god we're so far away from this like ready player one vision yeah so i'm glad you mentioned ready player one because that's what kind of captured the philosophy of the ideas most vividly to me this idea of kind of plugging in to a new virtual world uh where you can you know you can do anything right the possibilities are endless in there and and that's that kind of gets to the heart of it being digitally immersive instead of it just you know in 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 the sims or second life case it's still it's it's a pc or or game uh based thing when you add this idea of hardware and and putting on a pair of goggles into the scenario that's when the immersion kind of takes off to the next level right yeah and i mean i love ready player one so much this is one of the reasons why i went to push this episode because i was talking about this with some friends they were you have to do an episode on like Hmm. on on the metaverse basically but yeah so i read the book before the film came out and i was pretty much obsessed with it i was like this is so cool and the the film did a great job like it really kind of encapsulated what a lot of people kind of uh, wish for in in the kind of the final version of the metaverse if that you know is ever possible basically but one thing that i think was quite different between the the book and the film was that the universe in the book was well it was exactly that it was it was a universe it was kind of it talked more about the services the economies like the real world utility that i don't think the film kind of encapsulated like the film was more about right. the game and experience the tasks like that, that kind of stuff it was more like let's say gamification having fun in there in a lot of ways whereas the, the book actually talked about this universe like people actually having services their jobs their entire lives being based in there mm-hmm. and i think that's something that you know, we, we really need to speak about when we talk about the metaverses. Most people are still kind of thinking about it as just a way to have a better gaming experience, for example. I don't blame them. It is the ga- big gaming companies that are really pushing the agenda in this space. And it kind of, it makes a lot of sense. It will be gamers probably that the first adopters of these. Like you look at the Oculus headsets and all this kind of stuff that's VR friendly. Like there's games that, that they're kind of used on right now. But more and more, we're going to see the utility come into this. Yeah, that's really interesting because like so far we've tried to describe the concept pretty much exclusively in terms of games, but that that seems like the the next frontier is the, where the real utility is, what you can do beyond game, uh, you know, game type things. I mean, the one that would then spring to mind is something like The Matrix where people are living their entire lives yes. plugged into this machine and that has its own quite scary connotations with it, right? So I think, I think that's also yeah. something that people push back on with this metaverse concept. 
Yeah, I mean, it's two sides of the same coin. Like, there's a lot of resistance to this. You kind of either think of it as a tech paradise that brings people together, maybe in the maybe what's kind of portrayed in Ready Player One to an extent, even though like the actual kind of real physical world's a bit grim and sad in it, or like a dystopian hell that pushes people apart potentially. Um, but yeah, I think one of the other really interesting things that's raised in Ready Player One is this idea of like, um, you know, there was the creator of the Oasis, this James Harday, and his kind of vision for what it should be versus these big corporations that were trying to like section it off and monetize it. And this is another big question is, you know, how do businesses, how do private developers fit into this, this idea of like in an interoperable space that anyone can kind of access? Um, yeah. but I think one other thing that was shown in, in that movie, we talk about utility and not just being a game is, you know, the bits where he buys, he buys items in the game and like tries them on while he's in the virtual space and they get delivered to his real world. Like we're seeing mm -hmm. these kind of use cases already. Yeah, exactly. But I think, I think you, you're kind of hitting on a really interesting point there as well about the businesses and, and how, how do businesses and large organizations adopt and, and grow the metaverse? Cause that's, you know, as we, we kind of started. And we're back now to the to, to 2021 and, and, and the present day where Facebook have kind of pivoted to this being their, their main play for, for their whole the whole business operation to trying to make the metaverse a reality and all these things we've been talking about. Um, so, I mean, one thing I would I would ask at this question at this at this point of view is we're obviously a Web3 podcast and what 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 exactly is the relationship with Web3 here? Because it, it, so far it sounds like something that would be quite independent of it but i'm sure, I'm sure there's there are some links to draw right yeah um i mean the metaverse is in kind of in my mind right now is effectively the gateway to web3 is how i i kind of envision it when we think of like the metaverse being focused on the principle of like user experience and getting users into a space web3 is kind of like the foundational protocol i guess that allows that space to kind of function at the at the, at the lower levels um you know when we're thinking about some of the main principles of web3 that we discussed in the first episode it was all about user centricity and when we think about user centricity and user focus the 3d internet will make everything more immersive. So it's just gonna add value to the kind of the user experience. And I think that's why Metaverse and Web3 are kind of so intrinsically linked. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I think I broadly agree. You know, in my mind, the Metaverse is something that can exist completely separately from this Web3 economy that we've been talking about so far in the podcast. But it's something that is has a big overlap with it and, and a growing overlap where I see web three as being the kind of technological rails of, of, uh, how you, you know, how you get that utility in metaverse. So without web three, the metaverse might just be this, uh, this, this kind of smaller, narrower focused, uh, thing where you might have, you know, uh, metaverses for gaming, but with web three and the technology stack, you know, enabling micropayments, enabling, ownership of digital property that's where i can certainly envisage metaverse becoming this much bigger thing that provides all this utility and can be you know used in lots of different applications beyond just gaming in my mind yeah definitely i mean that makes a lot of sense like we're, i mean we're going to talk about all the individual components that contribute to 
to the metaverse and there are so many uh, a lot of people are kind of just catching up with the hardware right now because that's i mean how a lot of people will access the metaverse but there's so many individual components that like you said that like you have to work out on you have to work out ownership that like we're talking going to talk about services that can kind of be embedded in the metaverse how people can have jobs how people can create content and all of this relates to web3 and like you said before it's not necessarily not necessary for the metaverse to be based on web3 but right now web3 does fit the bill in the best way it seems for sure, for sure. Um, I think we've had a good stab there at, you know, defining ourselves. Shall we, uh, as a, as always, turn to ChatGPT and see what its definition is and see if we've missed anything out? Yeah, I think, you know, ChatGPT is your friend. So I think maybe you should have a go at giving the definition from ChatGPT. Yeah, I'll, I'll let uh, it, it help me out this week here in particular. So, Okay, here's how ChatGPT explains uh, the concept metaverse. So the term metaverse refers to a concept that describes a virtual universe or collective virtual shared space. It is often depicted as a fully immersive, interactive and expansive digital world that can be accessed by users through various devices such as virtual reality, VR, headsets, augmented reality, AR glasses, computers and mobile devices. So yeah, I think we've mentioned a lot of those aspects first is anything we missed out there no 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 i think yeah we'll, we'll go into more detail on on the hardware after the break i mean this is something that i've kind of worked on in the past and particularly interested in and like i say i think this is the thing that's really taken off in the past few years is that you know the software to an extent has been there for a while but the hardware is really catching up now and becoming like commercially viable for people to own in kind of like quite you know simple terms and use quite simply and i think that's the thing that's kind of the, the big enabling factor for this this metaverse hype that's taken off right now yeah, I think that's definitely the biggest gap in my knowledge is the whole hardware side of things and how how you, how you need that to make it, as I say, this properly immersive experience. Um, mm -hmm. I'll just kind of fin finish off this, uh, this little excerpt from ChatGPT because there is a little bit more. So it also says, in the metaverse, users can engage with digital environments, objects, and other users in real time, creating a sense of presence and interactivity. It goes beyond traditional 2D interfaces and aims to provide a more immersive and interconnected experience. The metaverse typically incorporates elements such as virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, and social networking. So I think that that there is is quite a good insight into just how many different concepts are actually being kind of overlapping with the metaverse, right? That we've only you know we've only talked a little bit about. Web three and the blockchain aspect, but also mentioning artificial intelligence there is a whole other, a whole other um, uh, ball game to, to be talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's like how many buzzwords can you get into one sentence? <laughs> like, like ChatGPT just ticking them all off. So it's, it's interesting. Like, um, obviously. ChatGPT is kicking off right now. It's enabling people to kind of have, you know, real-time kind of, I guess, conversations and use use ChatGPT to kind of, um, I guess, take the best information from the internet, like you were talking to an expert in the field. Uh, I think that's like, it's really intuitive how it does that and how that relates to the metaverses. I've seen gaming companies, I actually forget which gaming company was that demoed this recently, but you know, non-player characters in games, they have these kind of set responses where you can go through like five responses mm. or something like that. And then they're out of, they have this loop back where you can only go through those five responses at any one time. Um, well, this this gaming company is now pushing 
AI basically in into that, that that kind of NPC field. So you can ask them anything and they can respond in almost any way. But they're also doing so audio cues, like they're trying to push like physical cues and all this kind of stuff. So you can have like real time kind of responses and kind of custom bespoke responses from NPCs in games, which is just crazy. Like this is going to be so immersive and so cool. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. I can see how ChatGPT would uh, really improve some of those those uh, quite dry and turgid responses you normally get from non-player characters. Yeah. talked so far about the metaverse quite generally we gave our definitions and went into some of the very interesting history uh, about the metaverse and actually discovered as well that it's, it's quite a, an old concept and then you gave us the chat gpt definition and now we're going to expand on some of the concepts that chat gpt introduced so i think one of the the kind of like I said before, one of the most important aspects of metaverse, especially in recent years, like the fields that are growing extremely quickly, that have kind of enabled like real adoption and a lot of excitement around the space, is the hardware. Really, it's um, like I say, it's, it's developing really, really quickly. Like when we're looking at like the VR space, I mean, I think most people will be aware of like what a VR headset is. Oculus have kind of um, have kind of pushed the forefront mm-hmm. of VR headsets like quite, quite vehemently and so facebook actually took over oculus back in 2014 so they kind of set their intent to jump into this space you know quite a while ago before this whole this whole yeah. meta net shift so, happens so i've i've never you know i've never owned one of these oculus or any vr device so i, I I'm, I'm it sounds like you probably have used one right so what what, mm-hmm. what is it like when you use one what's the experience of, of these things so right now it, it's quite clunky they are these like giant headsets they're like helmets effectively it's quite heavy helmets that go around your head and then give you like a full 360 visual kind of cue so you're like a basically like a cinema screen attached around your attached around the front of your head so you can't see anything outside um i mean the kind of the the more nifty ones these days are a bit more lightweight and you can also kind of you can also see outside of them so you can like say switch off the, the display and actually you have cameras to see the real world if you need to because they are can get quite clunky and dangerous um and then the oculus ones they have these these handles that you can put your hands on that are kind of like trigger guns so you can know where your hands are relative to where you're looking so you can obviously interact right. with the environment it's not really enough to just see what's going on you want to interact and then they have this kind of like inbuilt tracking system so when you move you tilt you twist like you would in real life your visual your vision changes your hands move place so it really allows you to quite basically interact with the environment yeah so i'm thinking I'm, in my head i'm thinking like the kind of thing you might find in a really really good arcade where you know you've got a big screen in front of you you've got uh physical prompts you've got mm. you know maybe your seat is moving but it's it's fully immersive because you're you've, you've got the headset on and you and that's all you can see right you can't see any of the the physical world anymore yeah it, it's it's very similar to that i think one of the things that is missing right now is that is the movement aspect and i think it's probably more of a practical thing as, as well as like a technological thing is that you can't have people that are playing this game in their room running around and hitting walls i've seen videos like everywhere of people like getting scared in these like horror games and just like yeah. jumping to one side and hitting the wall and things like that smashing the tv by accident that kind of thing yeah exactly so like it, it's 
crazy because right now, if you actually use one of these VR headsets, one of these Oculuses, the graphics are quite poor compared to like, you know, top spec televisions or like gaming PCs and all this. But even though the graphics are really poor, it feels so much more real and immersive just because it's 3D and moves with you. Like, I mean, yeah. I got my mom to play this horror game on quite a basic Oculus and she was terrified, like really terrified. Like I have like a sometimes a fear of heights and they put you on this like gangplank on like top of um, like at the Empire State Building and you know it's completely fake but there's a part of you that really gets immersed in and you're like this is genuinely scary yeah i can i can see that i can imagine i i have seen people playing the horror games before and thinking that's not for me that would be that'd be pretty crazy but you know there are other things where you know just like you know the experience of being in space and looking out and and seeing yeah. you know just just the, the 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 expanse would be really kind of fascinating to do but yeah, it's yeah. not something I've ever done, but I can see so many applications of it. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but this kind of VR approach with the headset, as you said, Facebook or Meta have, uh, you know, they acquired Oculus. And I think that mm. kind of forms the basis of their main metaverse product, which is the kind of, it's called Horizon Worlds, right? So they're yeah, going for exactly. this very much completely immersive. You're only seeing the virtual world. And, you're, you know, <laughs> I've seen people going into it. It's almost like Sims from first person perspective right you're walking around these kind of funky <laughs> graphics talking to people but instead of it being the the weird made up flagel noogle language you have in sims <laughs> it's <laughs> it's real people talking to you right did you just pretend that you hadn't played sims when really you you clearly have yeah exactly that and um i think like you know at the end of the day we've evolved to have 3d vision over like hundreds of millions of years it's very intuitive it's what feels natural to us i think that's what makes it so immersive even though the graphics right now are quite poor compared to what we're seeing in like tvs and real life and all this stuff it's the fact that it's 3d and moves with you that makes it so kind of immersive and makes you quite addicted mm -hmm. to these these platforms and i think also aside from like meta really pushing into this space do you know who the biggest um seller of watches by unit is in the world right now uh no idea it's apple and apple uh, are moving into the vr headset space they're releasing their vr headset this year and i think this is one of going to be one of the most exciting hardware releases related to the metaverse like apple do not move heavily into a space unless they're 100 sure they're going to get mass adoption and i mean this is basically kind of a bet on the metaverse and quite a strong bet that's got a lot of people excited mm, yeah if anyone's going to get it right you think it'll be it'll be apple um, mm -hmm. maybe that's quite a nice segue into, you know, I, I wanted to talk, we've done kind of virtual reality VR now, maybe we can talk about augmented reality because I think actually it sounds a bit scarier or, or, or weirder or less, uh, or more abstract, but actually I think augmented reality is the one that most people will actually have experienced thanks to things like Pokemon Go. So yes, I, I'm glad you brought uh, this one up. Yeah. And, and, and again, why the Apple is a good segue is because this is a this is an example of a, a metaverse that you can experience through your your mobile phone by downloading an app like Pokemon Go. So, my understanding of augmented reality is very much that you're taking the the real world and, and augmenting it with some digital assets, digital elements that you put in there. So, in the case of you know Pokemon Go, it's people can can now go around looking at real locations, which now have you know digital items. These Pokemon available there to, to catch right that that's kind of the augmented aspect 
Yeah, exactly. Like the, the principle behind augmented is you kind of you're, you're capturing data from the real world. So you just have a camera like on your phone and then you're superimposing like, digital assets into that real world to make it look like that that digital asset exists in the real world. So most people understand, you know, you're walking around a, a park and then all of a sudden I put my phone out. I see the park on my camera, but there's a Pokemon in the place of, you know, on the grass or something like that. There's like a lot of complicated kind of um software that goes into that like reconstructing what the the real world looks like and ensuring that the digital asset that pokemon is interacting with the the real world in, in the way it should be so it's on the ground for example or it doesn't like you know move through a tree and all this kind of stuff um and i think a really cool example i saw of this when i when i was using the hololens a few years ago in this um this research lab was that they they were using it for surgeons so they had like surgeons that were plugged into these these ar glasses and their mm. plan was to have like operations where you could see you know the incision points or you could have like a little feed saying what the heart rate is and you know where you're at in the kind of in the surgery and all this kind of stuff i was like oh my god like this is so it's a cool use case like there's so many applications to this kind of stuff it's not just games like this is going to have like real world impact yeah and i think i think that's really that's really interesting right because you're you're starting to touch on the the, the kind of scale um the sliding scale of different types of metaverse you can get when you use different types of hardware so for virtual reality you really do need um you just kind of glasses based right now hardware mm. for augmented reality you could experience it through your mobile phone and, and pointing your camera at a physical location or it could also be uh, you know some kind of glasses based thing for like a surgeon where it's augmenting them so the ar i always think of might the example for that kind of application is like a iron man right so the, yeah. the heads-up display that he has when he's inside the the suit you know that's that's hardware that's augmenting his his um his his actual field of view to give him you know <laughs> all the things he needs to to to, to stop the bad guys in, in 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 Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. And, and I did feel like Iron Man when I put those glasses on. Um, I mean, there's so there's so much like so many elements that we can speak about when it comes to hardware, like the, the haptic suits, how you kind of feel things like physically in the real world, like on your body and all this kind of stuff. Um, but like, they're so hard to, to get like temperature and pressure on. Like I saw there was a lot of research around mechanical gloves that manually apply pressure. There was even like a lot of research around like water that flows over the haptic suit. So you could get temperature and pressure um, running pads and how you actually move around. But I think maybe we'll need an entire episode just on the hardware that could be related to the metaverse. Yeah, so we, we could just probably sure. move on before I get too excited. Yeah. Well, why don't we, what, maybe that's a good place to start moving on to the web three components, right? So the bits that aren't, to do with the hardware but the you know when we said web3 being a, a technological underpinning of of um some examples of the metaverse so i think this is where you know things like avatars come in as an example of a, a kind of digital property that you can own and you can you can use to interact in these worlds so they represent you they might represent your identity depending on how advanced they are and all of that can be done kind of in my opinion most robustly with with the tools of web3 with the technology the security the transparency you get from web3 that's kind of the best way of implementing things like avatars digital property mm -hmm. like um owning a plot of a land in our in our virtual sims world that that's better supported by a blockchain than just the gaming system right yeah so so a cool fact that i like about the term avatar is it's um it's actually it actually means descent in Sanskrit and it refers to the way that deities descend into the mortal world and I think that's quite cool to think of us like kind of um you know transcending 
in a way from like the physical to the digital world. And like you say, like identity is so important in both metaverse and web three. And it's going to be, you know, one of the key ways that the, the two areas kind of intersect. Like how do you represent who someone is like in the physical world to the digital world? And it's not just who you are in a lot of, in a lot of ways. It's a, it's customizable. It's like who you want to be. And I think a lot of people like that kind of ability to express themselves. And it's not just like express who you, who you want to be. It's also like representing psychology and like physical actions. I think a big part of the metaverse is like the whole point of it is it's going to be more immersive. It's going to be more real. Like I said, more human. And as part of that, it's going to be more emotional. Like one thing you don't get in like interaction right now and say Sims and stuff like that is, you know, you don't actually know how someone feels when they're reacting to something, how they're responding. But I think with all these kind of the, the advancements in hardware, we're going to get like, you know, real time kind of reaction. It's going to affect people. It's going to make the experience more emotional. And I know that sounds quite wishy-washy right now, but that has a lot of applications to like real world services. If you're kind of, you know, mm. I'll talk about it a bit later when we come to use cases, but there's a lot of services that require the kind of the human interaction level and digital experience is obviously very convenient, but it's less human. And there are certain services where if we have that can kind of gain that human element, like I'm talking about, but also have the convenience of doing it digitally. There's a whole area that's going to kind of just improve like exponentially. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm just happy to have it on record that you feel like a god going into a virtual world when you when you put on your glasses. That is a, that's an interesting insight into your psyche, Alec. Um, that's what you took from that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on a serious note, I, I completely agree in the sense that, yeah, the, the realism element of this, because, you know, we're, we're quite a long way off the having truly realistic experiences in, in in the metaverse but i think they they will come as, as things improve and yeah i i personally could see that being incredibly useful for things like you know education for example you see in in in, in the pandemic when when all all, all teaching essentially went uh, virtual and remote what you get is these screens of of uh, blacked out uh spaces on the on the zoom call right people don't want to show their faces because they don't have to and that kind of you can't then read facial expressions you can't have an uh, you know a, a real engagement with students with your other classmates that a lot of people lost out on whereas if you could have these realistic avatars that actually do you know um track your, your facial expressions represent you then that i think i see that removing the barrier you know where you don't have even if you're uncomfortable showing your face you can still have a much more meaningful engagement with someone um, in a metaverse world than you could have just in this 2D, let's call it Web2 world of Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and things like that. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think in um, in Ready Player One, you see that that kind of, um, there's that scene where it says suppress emotions or something like that, and then jumps back in and starts displaying them. I think, yeah, there's a lot of applications, a lot of benefits that come from that. Um, I mean, the next thing that we should also talk about, we've kind of, I think you mentioned Minecraft and Second Life. Like one of the big aspects of this was digital property and, and ownership. And like these platforms were very good at allowing communities to kind of to build out their, their own content and create social engagement, kind of, you know, self um, self perpetuating social engagement within the community by letting people build their own content, own their own content, and then effect effectively monetize that, that content by mm. selling it on and all this kind of stuff. And like I said, that we've had like we had a long discussion about Web3 and how it enables ownership and it's like an effective way for peer to peer engagement. And there's obviously a lot of overlap there between what Web3 will enable and how that will directly kind of um, incentivize usage of the metaverse through digital property ownership yeah and when i think of um 
you know, being in the metaverse and it's all well and good talking to some someone random that has an, an avatar, um, you know, with an, the name tag on it. But when it comes to actually doing business with them or, you know, more, more colloquially just uh, interacting with them, exchanging, you know, some in-game or in-world tokens for an in-world asset, you, you, you want better systems to mediate that exchange. And, and, and it's a way of being able to trust the other person on the other end of that avatar, you know, without, without having, uh, without having full understanding of who they are, without actually knowing their identity, even in some cases, and just having this sort of proxy for their identity, using the tools of web three is something that you could do to make sure that you can be more comfortable with, with, with having these actual value exchange interactions, um, with, with other people, you know, that's, that's where I see it being really powerful and on that digital land aspect, right? I think that's, that's something that the businesses will be really interested in. Like I know we've already had uh, large companies dipping their toes into the metaverse. We had um, we had a fashion week. I don't know if it was pa Paris Fashion Week or, or one of the big ones. Uh, actually, ex you know, did a version of that in metaverse in Decentraland. I think it was. Um, mm. Maybe they've done it twice now, actually. And that's all well and well and good as like a single kind of showcase event, but actually you know, businesses are always looking for, for better ways to engage their customers. And if the value proposition of metaverse is better engagement, then I can see how big companies will want to use this new digital real estate as the, their entry point for new customers. So, you know, if you can buy items, as you said, in world that are purely digital, that's great, but you might buy physical items in world where you have a better experience, you know, and, um, you know, we've talked about Apple already, like instead of going to the physical Apple store and trying on, or playing with a new product if you can get the experience good enough then you can see how you could do that entirely virtually i know you can already kind of do a version of that but you know not in a purely immersive way but if you could try before you buy without having to go to the store that's going to make people more likely to buy from these companies i think that's a really big proposition for them yeah, people are pushing heavily into the kind of um, like the, the development of space out there. I know Snoop Dogg's done like quite a few different like concerts now and got like thousands of people in there. I saw that there was um, a use case of someone that made like a, a wedding venue. So it was the first official wedding that happened in Metaverse like a couple of years ago. And they tied the knot. They got like an official kind of um, pastor or a vicar there, basically. I mean, one of the issues they had was that there was um, there were server scaling issues. So they couldn't support all the all the wedding guests so for some people uh, the bride was invisible for some people that she was wearing a hoodie for other people she was wearing a dress and it's like quite funny to imagine those kind of issues happening but yeah it is interesting to see that people are building kind of what we think of like physical spaces into digital spaces and there's a lot of competition for this yeah i've also you know in, in terms of advertising I've, I've seen companies just buying up digital land doing literally digital land grabs right just because it is a way of advertising. The more of the digital land you own, the more people are going to see it. And I think it was maybe Atari in one of these games. Uh, maybe it was Roblox. And they, because in that game, you're buying blocks of land and they bought all these patches of land together and then just uh, basically made it read as the, as the Atari logo. So it's, it's just, it's pure advertising there. <laughs> um, so you could think, yeah, it's, it's going to, it offers loads of different ways to actually get to your end customers, right?
Well, this is one of the things I find, I find difficult. Obviously, people like buy land just to hold land and know that because there's only a limited amount of land, the value is almost kind of almost certainly going to go up. And I wonder how that applies to the digital space as well, because to an extent, it is extremely scalable and there's maybe not these same limitations mm. on that. So there's no guarantee that the value will go up. And I actually saw like a really interesting um a really interesting talk about the kind of the links between the metaverse and, and capitalism. So obviously like capitalism is built on the principle of a constant growth. And it's quite, you know, we're finding maybe that's, there's difficulties in supporting that physically in the real world. The constant growth implies constant production, inc- implies kind of lots of materials, you know, all the problems we have maybe with plastics being constantly produced being produced sorry and he, he described the metaverse as a, a potential solution as this where you don't need to necessarily have constant growth in the physical world you could assume constant growth in the digital world where you know there's constant economic growth and commitments to sustain the economic growth and jobs mm-hmm. in in the, the digital space without some of the consequences of having to you know mass manufacture and continually mass produce he saw this as a potential solution to the environmental crisis and i thought it was a really interesting idea yeah, that is really, and, and you can see a parallel there with, you know, something like Bitcoin and, and, and other blockchains, where you have this idea of digital scarcity baked in, right? So, you know, we, you, you want in constant growth with some kind of uh, 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 scarce resource that you can almost measure that against and, and, and acquire. So, yeah, I think, I think that's another reason why these Web3 ideas are, are so closely linked. I wonder if we should maybe just kind of as we come towards the end of the podcast, maybe we should talk about some any specific use cases because we've discussed a lot of use cases throughout the the episode today. I think we've scattered them in, you know, with some with some interesting ones. <laughs> but is there anything like that you've seen or have thought about that would be a particularly exciting way of using the metaverse or, or what it could be good for? I think the, the exciting things are kind of they've, they've been talked about a lot. I kind of I'm maybe more interested in the more boring aspects, the things that are going to garner interest quite quickly because they're already a part of life and not, nothing that's kind of too revolutionary, but just kind of offsetting something that we do day to day now in the digital world and making it more immersive in in, in the metaverse potentially so that like i kind of touched on it a bit earlier like a lot of people use the digital world because it's more convenient but the the downside of that is there's less human experience so i think like a, a good example like certain services like you know physical and mental health examinations that i think would kind of gain a lot from being in the digital world obviously the convenience people don't have to leave the home to have these examinations but adding the aspect of a more human interaction actually kind of seeing like you know being able to be empathetic in there see the emotions in there i think you're going to get a lot from that like imagine having like i mean right now i use a digital app for a lot of my kind of health examinations it's called babylon it's on the phone and you kind of talk to like your gp um like on mm. the phone but yeah you, you do miss like the human element when you do that like i can i really can imagine like a, a not too distant future where we'll engage in those kind of services those human services in the metaverse rather than kind of across my phone yeah i mean I, that's a really good example right because like, i can see that even not just in terms of improving the experience for the end user like the patient but also helping the outcomes so if if you have again these hyper realistic future versions of the metaverse where you could ask a patient you know touch the part where it hurts and then you can see mm. physically how they react then it might it might give better cues to the to the physician on what's going on so yeah exactly. I, I can see that being a, a really powerful one yeah i mean what about you jack what are your kind of uh, use cases that you're thinking of right now 
Well, I mentioned education already uh, very briefly, and I think that's that's quite an exciting one. And I think it's also it's one of those that is being pushed already, where you know, if if if, if the metaverse is a tool for engagement, then one of the, the most important things to, to help people engage with is, is education and young people. So, you know, if you can imagine learning about animals or, or, or the planets through one of these, these uh, headsets where you can actually get mm. up close and see it and zoom in and like see the scale of things, you know, yeah. like visualizing the scale of the planets or, 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 or the different animals and, and seeing, um, you know, a classic example would be kind of exploding, uh, having an exploded version of the anatomy yeah. of, of an animal right that that would make me much more engaged to learn about it instead of and also much easier to yeah. learn because when you see 2d diagrams of these things when you're in school it's almost intractable to understand what's going on is this line pointing to this what labels yeah. going to what part whereas if you can explore it in the kind of 3d virtual yeah. environment that would be much more useful exactly i love that i mean you know, we've developed over hundreds of millions of years to kind of learn through visual cues and 3D visual cues. And right now it's, it's, it's not too interactive. Like the education system is not very interactive. Like learning from textbooks doesn't work. It certainly didn't work yeah. for me. I'm much more a practical learner. I see these kind of um, these examples as of like kind of education where you're involved and actually fully immersed as being like so successful and so important. And I think it's why like the gaming industry is taken off so well because it's addictive. Like people love these kind of like this, this visual stimulation. And actually, just as a final thought on use cases, right, just kind of it's, it's related to work and education. But if you're not sold on the idea of these virtual immersions, then the one that really got me was if you just think about putting on a pair of glasses and that would transform your single laptop screen into three or four monitors <laughs> that you can see and, you know, um. interact with then you can basically have a, a much more powerful office set up anywhere you are, right? If you're working in an airport yeah. or in a coffee shop, you know, it's just a case of what you can visually see and you don't actually need physical monitors. So that one, that's one of the first ones that made me think, yeah, that's a, that's a huge benefit, like a tangible benefit that I could get from yeah. using one of these things. You're all about work productivity, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Always, always. I'm always thinking about work, Alec. So. <laughs> So um, why don't we talk about some of the challenges? Obviously, there's a lot of excitement um, that has kind of been been displayed about the metaverse, but I think it, it's worth discussing some of the challenges. I think one of the, the biggest ones for me right now is interoperability. So you have this kind of this term metaverse that kind of implies like a singular a singular version of of the, of the metaverse, I guess, that everyone's kind of involved in. But right now we're seeing lots of individual developers. We're getting kind of some of the issues that we saw maybe in like that where we talked about web one to web two to web three about these walled gardens appearing where individual developers or companies are developing their own individual metaverse. I don't even know how you describe the plural. Is it metaverses? Like it just sounds really, I would call really it the, wrong it's the, to it's say. The, it's the manyverse, right? That's oh, what we have right now. Right, Dan, I mean, he's got, an, he's got another one. <laughs> but yeah, so this is going to be an issue. Like we can't have lots of, it's going to be really hard to have lots of different versions of the metaverse. Like people want a kind of a seamless um, a, a kind of transition from place to place. They don't want to have to go from kind of different different models of their metaverse. Mm. And like, it's not just about the, the metaverses when we think of them as like a collective, as like an environment. It's also about the objects we have. Like we were talking about ownership in, in, in that NFT episode. Um, and how you kind of you take ownership from place to place and how you guarantee that like imagine if you, you owned an object like you I don't know jack you owned a cup in in one version of the metaverse say it's facebook's version of the metaverse and you really want to move that cup to 
know, Apple's version of the metaverse. Like it's really difficult right now for for Apple and Meta to understand that that object is is a cup in both realities. Maybe you know Apple thinks it's a rock, and this is like quite a, a silly example. But when this applies to like you know kind of your avatar, your profile, like all all the items that you've collected over your entire life, like it, it's quite important to people. And this interoperability is, is like a really pressing matter right now. People are really trying to develop standards, and I think like in the kind of the AR and the VR space, there are standards that are emerging from like what well, I think Disney actually and Pixar push these standards. But we really need to see like standardization across the board to kind of solve this interoperability problem so we don't get these these walled gardens that are one of the issues right now with Web2. Yeah, I agree. I think that's also where, you know, Web3 comes in and where that's one of the most important aspects of how Web3 fits into this metaverse idea is that by basing things on a blockchain, by having digital assets that are themselves interoperable, then we have mm. a common shared currency that can at least go between these different worlds. If we if we want to think of the metaverse as a collection of worlds, that 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 is also possible, um, quite probable end state, I think. I don't necessarily think mm. it'd be one universal world, but it will be this almost a universe of worlds. And yeah. having a currency that can be used between them makes sense. Having common essentially common records common databases that are shared by these worlds which the blockchain can provide is also is super important but i agree that's we're quite a long way off from having that idealized version of it right now right now it is very much a bunch of walled gardens because i think you know the early metaverse implementations that we've seen you know take as we said facebook's horizon worlds as an example i'm pretty sure that's not exactly Web3 based. We're seeing lots of metaverse mm. built out initially as just Web2 products. But, you know, increasingly, I think the transition will be to, to more uh, to more Web3 type things, which will enable that interoperability. So, yeah, that's a big one for me as well. Um, the other one I, I, I worry about as a challenge for the metaverse is, is definitely this, you know, we talk so much about hardware. So that mm. presents an obvious barrier to entry. I mean, yeah. I haven't I haven't been motivated enough to to shell out the money to buy an Oculus yet, so I haven't you know I haven't really experienced that side of things. I can imagine um, other things. You know, Google Glass was effectively mm. shelled for for one reason or another. You know, probably because you couldn't get people to part money for that for that kind of thing. So I I, I see that being a big barrier to adoption. But you know, yeah. with, with all the with with all the, with with how technology progresses, you think that will decrease over over the future, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Moore's law. I mean, it's developing like a, an exponential, an exponential rate right now. But right, yeah, it's not like at the level where it's as convenient as a, as a mobile device. But, you know, I mean, mobile devices are kind of conceived of like 50, 60 years ago and only in the last like 10 to 15 years they've become like mass adoption. So it does take time, but it, it's happening quite quickly. And I think, yeah, related to the the accessibility and the kind of the high barrier to entry right now for, for the hardware, right now in kind of these these metaverse projects, I guess, it's like the start of a, of a slow party. Um, there's not many people in there. It's a bit awkward, but I think we are going to see in the next 10 to 15 years, it's going to hit that critical mass where there's enough people that it becomes extremely you know, fun and immersive. But the question is right now, how do we get the people in? And I think there's been an issue around like it's been very tech centric and all the people that are in mm. it are very kind of tech heavy and in the tech space. And I think we are seeing a more a switch to a more user centric approach to this space, like the concept of bringing people together. And I think this is this is one of the big pushes that is going to and has to happen over the next like, five, 10 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
you, in the metaverse, you have a similar problem that's being faced in Web3 is what, what will be the killer application. It could even be that the metaverse as a concept is the killer application of Web3 that makes it take off. But it's hard to know what will um, what will be the most practical application that, you know, delivers value to users that people people actually recognize. You know, the one the, the only one that's truly taken off that I can see is, is Pokemon Go. That was literally a, <laughs> a worldwide phenomenon. I have actually played it, you know, of all these things. But um, well, you, you say that, but do you know how many active users there are of metaverse right now, of metaverse projects? Uh, I don't know. I, I would imagine if you include all these different examples, maybe quite high, actually. Yeah, it's 400 million active monthly users of metaverse-based projects. I mean, wow. one of the interesting parts is that 51% of them are 13 and below. So it just goes to show that yeah. this is something that kids are growing up with. And, you know, 400 million users, it's just going to grow. Like these kids in 10 years' time are going to be the people that are designing the technology, developing the software, and leading by example. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, do you know what what's the biggest contributor to that that number? Is it is it a Fortnite or is it something else? I think it might be Fortnite. I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, yeah. but yeah, it's like a an equal contribution in like Fortnite um, and kind of all the examples that we talked about earlier. Hmm. Well, I, and I think that's interesting, right? To maybe as a point to end on, because Fortnite is something that I would probably personally describe as starting as a game that has been hmm. moving to more and more of a metaverse over time you've been able to do more and more things in it the element of in-game currency in-game assets has is only grown we've had big brands go in there like <laughs> the, the one i always think of is um the star wars episode nine i think it was and they and they they actually released plot critical details only in Fortnite, which was mind-boggling to me right that was an insane thing so it's becoming this this behemoth really that is much more metaverse than than it was when it started out and i think it's only a kind of small hop away from becoming a web3 based metaverse that would potentially deliver a lot of a lot more value and a lot more um of that interoperability that we talked about yeah i mean gaming is definitely leading this space but it, i mean it's exciting to see i'm a gamer so i get it and i think a lot of other gamers do get it it's all about user experience and they kind of yeah. user experience and the gamers tend to have like you know the income to kind of splash on these 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 big um these big hardware pieces so, so they get it and i think you know that's a good place to end so i think we've covered the metaverse quite neatly i think i could have spoken for another couple of hours on this stuff maybe we'll do a, a future episode expanding on some of the topics that we introduced but yeah it's a good episode so thank you for listening Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favourite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.